Welcome to the One Season or Another podcast with your hosts, Skyla and Tell. Here we'll talk about faith, family, our careers, and our adventures as a young married couple. This episode is brought to you by the Mad Hatter Partying Event Rentals in Southwest Colorado. And welcome back to the fourth installment and also our first guest episode. Um, Skyla is not here with us today. So we have a special first guest, Stetson. You've heard us talk about him a little bit on the podcast prior. He is my older brother. Stetson, you want to introduce yourself and tell him who you are? Sure thing. Stetson Hamilton here, the older brother to the Hamilton Brothers team. Um, 26 years old, living not too far from Tell. I live in Cortez. Um, not nothing too special, just a guy trying to work his way in life and do a little bit of hunting. Little or bit. a lot of bit of hunting. Yeah, all hunting. Um, Stetson, like I say, oh, my older brother, part of the Hamilton Bros team, uh, also part of Dustin on Taxidermy. Which um, is no longer a thing, so don't call me asking to do taxidermy work. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're something really cool like muskox. Yeah, shout out to Dylan. But Stetson, uh, this is, like I said, you've heard about him before. You've heard his stories of coyotes on tractors and a little bit of our hunting adventures. But more than just the gun and the man and the bow, uh, Stetson's also, as Scott said, he got married last year. Do you remember your anniversary date? July, uh, June 3rd. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mary. Married to Mary. Um, she is a nurse here in Colorado. Actually, she's a nurse in Shiprock now. now. So, yeah. Which is 40, 40 minutes away. Yeah. Not too far. Shiprock, New Mexico. And Stetson has been my business partner on the real estate side for going on two years now. Try again. Three. Three. Going on three. And how long have you been Sixth grade, something like that. <laughs> I don't know. No, not really. My, our mother went to taxidermy school in the second grade. So really, we've been around it since uh, 2006-ish. So a good while now. I was full-time in it right out of high school. Uh, no longer full-time in it. Um, but uh, I was heavy into it in middle school, and then middle school until now, I've really been doing it. So good, ten, a little over ten years. A little over ten years. Thirteen-ish years, fourteen years. But uh, like we said, we kind of been living in this world since mom did it and started her her taxidermy career. Um, we're actually hanging out in the taxidermy shop here at where I live and where my parents live, and Stetson works. Yes, this is the taxidermy shop in here doing a little bit of work. Um, I don't take it a whole lot, but I do take it a little bit for clients I like, and we actually have a lot of stuff for ourselves, so. Yeah, we're sitting currently next to mounts that are pretty much only ours. Yeah, um, there's a life-size lion, life-size bear, and really this time of year, post, post the new year, I'm always cranking away trying to get a bunch done because I'm always decorating for a banquet. Back in the day, I used to decorate for... I used to decorate for Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, um, but now, seeing me until our board members on the Four Corners SEI board, um, I'm supplying taxidermy every year, so I'm usually taking anywhere from 10 to 20 pieces. So um, this year we won't have as many. We'll probably have a little over 10, but we got some bigger pieces. So. And we always end up doing, you always end up doing pretty custom style work, especially for our show pieces. Uh, there's a super secret line mountain here. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's secret, but you know, I'm just trying to, so our focus this year is um, support it well stopping the ballot initiative ban line of bucket hunting in, in Colorado and uh, the centerpiece on the stage is going to be a mountain lion um, life-size lion that I, I took last year took it last uh, last last day of the year last year me and tell we're on a hunt um, on the Ute reservation so that's kind of the main thing we want on the stage we're trying to raise a bunch of money for that we got a lion hunt that we're donating and then I'm also donating tax to me to go with that lion hunt so you know we want people to see the kind of work they're getting 
And I'm sitting behind what is, in my opinion, a core mount because it's my 2022 bear that sets in the full bodied and she's walking up some rocks. Uh, she's, what do you say, 80% complete? You know, yeah, probably 80%, but the mount itself is our part. Uh, we call it habitat, so there's still, I can do all the rock work and then I got to finish work on them. I got to like paint their mouths, paint their eyes, and do what we call putty work. So fill, fill the spaces that the skin is no longer in. It's, and it's a, it's a unique process. That's one thing. Ninety percent of people, even if they're in the hunting industry and don't, love hunting, don't even understand. They it. don't get it. Uh, down to like even just putting a wall hanger on a mount. It's it's a process. Uh, as I tell everyone, it's an art form. It's a hundred percent art. Yeah, the way I do it, it is. I don't like toot my own horn, but I'm pretty good at tax army. Um, hard business to make money in, but I do enjoy it. So. I would uh, yeah. I would bet dollars to donuts sets in front of the best mule deer taxidermist in Colorado and the I'm US. You're going to be one of the be- better cat taxidermists too. Yeah, for, for how I many cats have I done a done? whole bunch of lions, but I'd put my line I got right here against most people's. I would put it against ninety percent of taxidermists. You've got a you've got a secret to your line mounts that have yeah. taken it to the next I've level. Got, yeah, I did some old scope sculpting on my own and really took it to the next level. Um, I not I kind of figured it out through a picture on another taxidermist thing, but I'd still do it on my own. But uh, it's a top secret thing that um, only my friends get. And myself, yeah. It's a uh, as the as we've talked in the podcast prior. Stetson and I do almost everything together. One thing that is not similar between the two of us. We're very similar people, but Stetson's hundred percent an artistic individual. Has a lot of really cool talents when it comes to anything art, really drawing, yeah. playing. Tell's not. not yes, yeah, stick <laughs> figures are not my deal. Tell's not good. Tell's one of the worst artists I know. Long discussion I had at my wedding with all my friends and said is. There's two ways people think. You can either think in pictures and videos and think of images, or you think in words. I cannot put anything in my head that is an image or a picture. It's all word-based Rambling. Thought. It's all rambling. It's just, yeah, it's a monkey with symbols <laughs> writing music. Yeah, I, and I definitely think 100% in three-dimensional uh, scenarios and pictures. Like If you know an engineer, most engineers are thinking in pictures. Most engineers can sculpt models, sculpt ideas in their head. I am very linear in my thoughts with that. Two D tells two D. Two D more like one D. But yeah, it, it, I think that's what really helps set a good artist apart. Yeah, hundred percent. I think yeah, it's just, that's all how your brain works. I mean, sets amounted a moose in twenty. Was yeah, last year I did a moose for. Well, but you, your first moose that was, uh, dead. was a long time ago. Yeah, and you'd never seen a moose in your life. Two thousand and sixteen, seventeen, I think. Yeah. Big oh. lot. It was a Russian grizzly. Russian grizzly. Uh, and it was a buried moose underneath it, like the. Like the grizzly bear had killed the moose, and then there was a Canadian black bear over the top of the dead moose, and there's kind of like a fight scene almost. So and, and like I said, he'd never seen a grizzly or a moose in person. Yeah, just need some photos. And That's all I need. You could, I could live with those creatures for a decade and still not know what they look like. <laughs> so that that like I said, we are very similar people, but that is one of the very stark differences. Also, Stephen's six foot tall. I'm five seven on a good day and a little pudgy. That's right. That's but. Right. It is it is pretty phenomenal to see some of the core work. You've done a lot of cool work. What's a besides the Russian Grizzly? Because that was cool. What's your been your favorite piece you've done? Because you've done some cool stuff. I'm saying my line right here. I got going is probably one of my favorite pieces. It's a little bit of sentimental stuff, but the the Grizzly was okay. That was quite a few years ago. I do it a lot different nowadays. It'd look a lot better. Um, It's the first really really big piece I did by myself. It took me a long time to get done. But uh, my line sitting here is probably one of my favorite pieces. So it's cool. A lot of alterations. You'll you'll see it, but the line's kind of hanging out of the tree, standing upright, um, really kind of 
dominant piece, I'd call it, um, looking down on you. Because when you see mountain lion in a tree, if you ever hunt with hound dogs or done any lion hunting, they uh, they have a presence. Even if they're way up in the tree and they're looking you in the eyes, it's hard to capture. It's a very it's very special to see a lion looking down at you in the trees. Stoic, very stoic face is what I. Yeah, call. and uh, intimidating. Yeah. And like your lion, um, it was a lazy lion hunt in my opinion. We'd hunted for what a week straight on some hardcore land and ended up catching it in the field. Yeah, look across late in the day across the road, um, not in the field, but it was out in the sagebrush flat and. Uh, Cut it in Arroyo is what we ended up catching it in. And, and we were level. You know, I cut a couple of the cats early in the winter, some small small females. And, uh, yeah, we had another one we were going to start and run in another area. But uh, then a friend called. This track was fresher. It sounded like a bigger tom track. So we went on a run and had eaten a raccoon. So it was plum full of raccoon. It was sleeping down the bottom of the Arroyo. Fat. We run it. Luckily, it didn't actually go too far because the conditions were really bad. It was the last day I could hunt. The tag expired. Um, run it a couple hundred yards. Woke it up sleeping in two feet of water and uh cut it in the cut it in the uh tamaracks yeah one of the few that you're not shooting straight up a tree we were we were eye level with it basically yeah and i've had some other cat hunts too that have gone you know 17 18 miles in a day not caught them or just glimpses and then this one is a lot closer a lot closer it was fun it was uh it's actually the first cat i've ever treated i hunted with stetson quite a bit when we were younger but not all the time and then it ended up he would go with some other local houndsmen to catch cats when I wasn't available for the day yeah. school. I didn't have very good hound dogs back in the day, if we're being honest. Didn't catch a whole lot. Just did a lot of driving. <laughs> Reckon a few trucks. So, yeah. But it was it was fun. Um, and now it's, like I said, it is coming together. It's it's probably 80% too. Yeah, yeah. It's got quite a bit left, but it'll be done soon. So Waiting on shipments of rock. Yes. So. But other than that, um, like I so said, we have the bear here. My favorite piece that's ever done. Well, one of mine. I'm partial because he mounted it's my graduation present because he mounted the ameliorate I shot. But uh, the odd ad, the two odd ad coming out of the rock. Yeah. That was an SEI mount. Yeah. I do a lot of cool stuff for myself, too, and a family. You had, so. a, you had a bear you did for the Denver Sportsman Show. Yeah, that was a long time ago. And it was it was a whole family affair to make. We call it the Avatar Bear. It's actually sitting in the shop here, too. But it looks like it's floating on rocks, basically. And it's just a super creative mount. Yeah. It's uh, held up. Held, <clears throat> it's about three or four feet off the ground. And it's held up by just like a single rod right in the middle, so it's kind of free-floating. I'm not a big fan of it anymore just because you progress and get better at stuff, and there's a lot of things I do different. But a lot of people like it. They tell me. I don't like it too much, but, yeah, so it's okay. It, uh, well, and it, it's a giant bear, and it does make it look a little smaller than yeah. probably what it was. Yeah, definitely. I lost a lot of size the way I mounted it. Yeah. So, oh, well. But it's, it's cool. It's a talking piece, man. People love it. Yeah. One day, hopefully, I'll have a big trophy reel, Mike, and... I can change the way it sits. It's real low in the ground. You can't really see its face too well. So hopefully in the future, one of these couple decades from now, I'll have a big trophy room. I can put it higher up on a mountain scene, and you'll be able to see its face a lot better. For sure. You did get the nice part is inspiration for taxidermy. You did have a small business for, what, a year before taxidermy that involved taxidermy, just not mounting things. Uh, yeah, I hauled taxidermy mounts all across the country for a hot minute. Uh, a couple trips. Didn't really like that too much, being a trucker deal. Um, I was doing taxidermy doing the same time, working for another guy. And then I uh, started doing this, stopped doing the taxidermy, started hauling mounts. I had a big big enclosed cargo trailer and a uh, big Dodge pickup. And hauled over the country, mostly the East Coast, New York, North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas, a lot. Um, the no- North, you know, Pennsylvania, West Virginia has a lot of hunters. So um, if you've ever been to New York City and drove around, imagine how terrible it is. Then just jumping a dually pickup 
full-size dually pickup and then pull a gigantic 10-foot tall 30-foot bumper pull cargo trailer around behind you it's uh one of the worst experiences i've ever had it was terrible and i did it multiple times so downtown hollywood yeah that was in downtown hollywood got into like the beverly like the beverly hills <clears throat> the roads are so narrow i was having to move trash cans to get around like bmws and audis and all kinds of stuff and uh just it's super stressful luckily enough you weren't and alone. i was bootlegging up the whole time i didn't have any insurance and <laughs> you, i got pulled over by state patrol back east with my dad when we were doing one load because technically you're supposed to have a, like a you're in commerce when you're doing that and i didn't have any of the cd any of the state stuff so i got pulled over by state patrol and uh i think it was pa pennsylvania played ex- dumb because i was pretty young i was 19 um and I was like, oh, yeah, just hauling tax and running stuff for my, my best people and just dropping it off at their houses because I just give them that as a service. And then I ended up getting a 17-page uh, warning from the State Patrol. Failing. I failed everything because I didn't have any log books where you keep track of your driving. Um, all my truck components were fine, but I, yeah, I got a 17-page warning from the State Patrol. He uh, actually said, you're shut down. You can't leave this spot, but I'm going the other way. So if you're not here when I get back, that sucks. So shout out to that guy because he uh, – didn't take my truck and repossess it. I guess he could have or something of that nature. And we kept driving, went on New York, delivered, and come back through the same road and the next day, day or two later and made it scot-free home. So it wasn't too bad, luckily. So, But I, I didn't do that too often. And uh, it's just uh, driving. Driving like that gets really old really quick. Yeah, you put a few miles on your truck. Yeah. And a few gray hairs on yours and on yeah, dad's head. Yeah, 60,000. I did 60,000 miles my first year, so it was... You know, a truck driver is probably doing a ton more, but that was a lot for me. Too much. So that was that was a small as did you come to find with our family. It seems like all of us are trying to start or run a business at some point. And I think from a young age we were doing that. So that was kind of your first true business you'd ran by yourself. Yeah, that was. Um, it uh, was kind of the first real one, I guess you could say, in a way. It didn't last too long, but you know live and learn so some of life is learning what you don't want to do More yeah totally what you don't want to do yeah and it's just a lot of stress with that one you're hauling around tax term amounts and all this stuff is sentimental to people it has no value it has nothing it's not worth anything you can't sell amounts you can't you know you can buy amounts for dirt cheap um it's only meant it's only meaningful to the person who killed it and uh some of that stuff is super expensive too and when I didn't have insurance because it was too expensive because I was too young to get the right insurance to carry uh, like uh, coverage on the actual pieces because I was needing like two to three million dollars for the trailer like for the contents because I was trying to guesstimate what these pieces are worth to people and then you got you got animals in the backpack that are mounted that the hunts cost seventy or eighty thousand dollars a piece just for the hunt you know and then and then uh, you throw sentimental on top of that and what's sentimental worth? Yeah, priceless. Yeah, so it's it's priceless. So it was pretty nerve wracking. So I was always worried about getting rear ended and somebody hitting the trailer and just. I'm glad it's over. Glad it's over. On the cooler things, on a real estate and tax journey. And it's one of those things is you were you were traveling while you should have been probably hunting as a, you know, passionate outdoorsman, and just you got in the way of life and no one yeah. wants. Nah, not no one, but a lot of people don't want to be on the road. You were definitely one of those. Yeah, for sure. So. So now you're here. Everything works out the way it's supposed to. Yeah. So, and now you've got some big taxidermy pieces coming up too. Because unlike me, your honeymoon, you got a, the permission to go to Africa. I don't. Yeah, I don't get permission. I just tell you. <laughs> really. It's a, it's Cut a checks. I always say in a relationship, it's fifty-one forty-nine. I have the last vote. 
I don't always get that last vote, but uh, um, I got a really good wife that was not a hunter from New Jersey, and uh, I convinced her into becoming a hunter, and now she very much likes it. So she's she stacks animals. She's, she's got quite a few animals she, now. Yeah. yeah. She's done pretty well. A lot of deer. No giant deer yet, but her hunting's not as good as it used to be, so we're struggling with that. But she's killed a lot of deer. Um, nice bear she killed a couple years ago. And then she, she uh, killed, I think, uh, four or five animals in Africa. Yeah, Africa didn't disappoint. Yeah, we went to South Africa on our honeymoon. It was a kick in the pants. Total total fun thing to do. Um, I'm sure not very many people out there are allowed to go on their honeymoon to Africa. We called it our hunting moon. Just hunting on your Just, honeymoon. Yeah, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Stetson and I, and we talked about it in the prior podcast, but both our wives are, come from non-hunting backgrounds. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I mean, most hunters get their start from someone else, but... It's pretty addictive, I think, for most people. If you get in the woods and you are successful at the beginning, especially. It's rare, though. So many guys go on these honeymoons or hunting moons or whatever you want to call it, just hunting trips, and take their wives, but their wives will refuse to hunt, or they maybe don't let them hunt. Yeah, yeah, it seems like there's definitely guys that their wives won't even go on trips, and I think that's pretty unfortunate. You know, sure, now everything I want to do hunting-related costs me double, or costs us double. My wife makes plenty of money herself, but it costs us double. But it would sure be nice to have a wife sometimes. They just want to buy a nice camera and tag along. <laughs> I could hunt more, and I could shoot more, but... You're, um, you're not getting that because Mary's I, uh, full into it. Uh, Mary's full into it, and I'd rather have that than a wife that doesn't let me put taxidermy work in the house, doesn't let me going hunt, or nobody's going to stop me from going hunting but uh doesn't look highly on me going hunting so i am very appreciative to have mary well and it's one of those things and it's like statistically in your marriage there's three things that you have to values align on or your marriage doesn't work out politics religion and working and i think for us there's a fourth and it was hunting like that was that is a qualifying aspect yeah yeah for sure it's definitely helpful so mary's not sometimes she if it's real cold she's a little anti-hunting <laughs> like well, duck activity. Yeah, so if, if we're duck hunting, it's real cold. She's pretty okay staying home. So, but now that we have your your clover dog, and she's the proud mom, I think she's a little bit more willing. Yeah, she's definitely a little bit more willing. It helps her. She likes to see clover out there working away. It's it's definitely unique to have a spouse that does hunt. Um, like I said, we're we're gearing up for our hunt. But it's, it's like I would I wouldn't trade it because I enjoy. I'd rather do, I'd rather do less hunting and have my wife go. Yeah, well, and just you know, it's as we've talked, hunting is not about killing an animal. That's one percent, and what it is is the experience. Ah, uh, yeah, people like to say that too, but I sure am a big fan of that last moment. <laughs> that last moment, but what what cracks me up is Setson's wife Mary and I have a very unique brother sister relationship where we spend a lot of time glaring at each other, but uh. I got to see her her fondness for me on their safari because she uh, she had no intention of going over there and killing what is truly my dream animal and a lot of people's dream African animal of a sable. Yeah. But uh, then she sends me this long text about how she's. Well, at first she she said uh, she sent you a picture because it was not in the books to kill that, but we got a very good deal while we were over there because um, they're salesmen. Africa's <laughs> an upsell, like we talked about in last episode. It's an upsell, so we got over there. Um, you know, on the price list, the sable on the south of we went with is like I think eight thousand dollars, and we got there, and it was substantially less. Um, I think I had to come up with an extra twenty eight hundred bucks, so it was crazy cheaper. And uh, I told her to send it to tell and say, "Oh, look at this funny looking gimsbuck I killed." And gimsbuck is an oryx, or it's kind of different looking animal, and it's substantially cheaper. It's a pretty common animal, and she sent tell a picture of the sable, so. And she thought I was going to be pissed. Like, she was so worried. I get this long, she says, I know you really wanted one, but it was just super cheap. And 
Lil Chanel is like super jazzed up and yeah, still now, jealous a little bit. Still jealous. I, I'm jealous of every African. But I was gonna say his stable for Zambia or Zimbabwe yeah, or one of those countries. What uh? What did you kill in Africa? Mm, and so there's a couple people we're gonna know about, but you killed some kind of more unique stuff. Yeah, I did kill some unique stuff. You also just look it up if Del doesn't attach any photos of this podcast. Africa is diverse, especially South Africa. So South Africa, they have brought in a lot of African animals from all over the southern half of Africa. It's a huge continent, you know. So all the other countries that have these animals: Namibia, Botswana, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Tanzania. Cameroon. Uh, there's a lot of places that they've brought animals into South Africa and basically started raising them down there. So you get animals that you're not used to. Like uh, like a sable, from my understanding, is not naturally free-range in South Africa. So um, a lot of years ago, they brought them in and started raising them. They used to be super, super expensive. Like 20 years ago, it cost you $50,000 to kill a sable in South Africa. But now they're so prevalent. But anyways, so um, me and Mary both took Apollo. We both took Springbuck. Um, I killed a lovely kudu first, uh, not the first day, second day. Which I, is iconic Africa. Iconic Africa. It's a big spiral horn animal. Um, Mary killed a blessed buck, very unique looking animal. It's got like big glands in its face and actually has constant worms living in its face. Very, yeah, and talk about it. It has a like it's not a millworm, but it's a it's a. It's bug. like a grub looking thing, like a maggot almost living in its nose. And if you see them, they're always running and shaking their head because they always have these bugs, living, worms living in their nose. And then once you once you kill the animal. About a, if you like lay them on concrete about an hour later, they'll all crawl out of the nose and die. It's very gross. And they're always leaking like yellow fluid out of their tear ducts. Um, and then Mary took the sable. That's very beautiful. You don't know what a sable is. You should look it up. Big black animal with big, long, curving horns. Um, I took a steinbuck, which is a, uh, what do they call it? It's one of tiny tans, so it's a very small antelope that. Uh, they're very prevalent all over in a lot of Africa, but I mean, he probably weighed 15 pounds. It's, tro- no. it's a trophy, though. Like, yours it's, is a it's solid nice one. Yeah, sign. the horns are four inches long. That was <laughs> reference. So it's like a popsicle stick. It's very small. But I was just, I was not going to be into it. And then when you get there and you start seeing all these little, little tiny antelope all over the place, they are cool and you want one. Um, so I got that. It probably, I think it probably weighed less than 10 pounds, actually. Probably around the 10 to 15 pounds, if I could guess. It's not it, very I mean, heavy. it's like a jackrabbit. <clears throat> Long-legged skinny jackrabbit, super cool animal. Um, there's also the common gray diker where we were at too, which is a little bit bigger. They're probably weighing about 35 pounds. And then um, I killed a bush buck as well, which is a, kind of a smaller spiral horned antelope again, very elusive. Um, so Limpopo bush buck. There's a lot of different subspecies, but um, I got that one. So I was, that's the one I was wanting the most. Um, didn't quite go how I planned. Um, that's hunting. Though. That's that, Africa. That's Africa. So uh, nothing goes the way you planned. So one thing we. I always think I've traveled a bit. I've probably done most traveling in our family. But uh, one thing people, I think, transcend traveling is that hunting's cool. There's there's unique aspects. You're going on trips, usually do something. But one of the best parts of traveling people you tend to not think about is the food. And you guys, unfortunately, didn't get to eat a ton of crazy African food. No. There was a few you guys had. We didn't, which is pretty uncommon, actually, for Africa. So usually when you're going into these camps, you're eating a lot of a lot of the animals that are there. Um, but the, the gentleman we were at his place, he's a very large beef farmer too. So, um, and it works a little different in Africa. So we were kind of subleased onto another ranch, and that that ranch owner actually, ranch owner actually does not own the meat. So my guy that booked me owned the meat, so he can't use it. But he's the guy that owned the ranch that we were on. He he had a big cattle farm too, so we ate a lot of steak. Um, and I hate to break it too if a lurker ever listens. This is my pH. He just chimed up how good South African beef was. It's as good as you ever get. And I'll tell you what, 
hey, never had an American steak. <laughs> like a Walmart steak was <laughs> better. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. But, man, I've had some steaks that are just top-notch in America. And he's like, this is so good. And I'm like, yeah, it just kind of tastes it's, like uh, kind of like an old dairy cow. <laughs> you did. So what was the exotic you ate? You got croc? I got right? to eat. Oh, croc. Okay, yeah, that was top-notch. That was by far the best. I could eat that all the time. My wife loved it too, Mary. And they didn't want to tell us at first. We're pretty open-minded people, especially Mary. She'll try everything once. We, uh... It was like a, kind of looked like little chicken nuggets, and it was deep fried crocodile tail. And we got it multiple times over we there, and I could eat two pounds of that. They had like a sweet chili sauce with it, um, because the guy that we actually own as well, not as well as Beefy raised, he had about three thousand um, crocodiles he raised in another area for meat that he sold to meat in China, and they sold the, the leather as well, and it was phenomenal. And then we also got, um, you know, I'm sure it might have been some other stuff we ate that we just didn't know, because there's a lot of sausage and stuff over there. But we had kudu as well, which is like a a better version of elk, which I loved, and I could eat the pounds of that. So I'm very much looking, you know, tell I did say earlier, like, oh, um, you know, killing is an important part, but when it comes to experiences, you know, I'm kind of used to the Colorado hunting and getting out there and doing meal deer. Man, I am looking forward to get back to Africa and the truly the experience of Africa. It's, it's, there's a lot of, a lot of hunting, a lot of killing that goes on over there because it is a game rich environment, but, uh, we get to eat tons of cool stuff at this next place we're going and we'll be eating you know we'll be out there hunting and probably shoot some stuff for camp meat like you know and uh there's always like an in-house chef and uh, staff and they they're similar but i, I always say it's very rich over there's like curry type uh, flavors so a lot of heavy on the spices and i enjoyed it so i'm looking forward to that telling all them telling skyla will notice it too the birds in africa are just so loud and so many different kinds and it's just like if we're ever sitting down watching a hunt now about hunting shows about Africa, the first thing I notice is birds. Because like when I was in Africa this last time, we we sit water a couple nights waiting for bush buck, and then it was just nonstop with different types of birds and the sounds. And um, that is an experience I'm very you much Omaha, I I'm yearning to get back to. Stetson won't tell you himself, but he's definitely an encyclopedia of hunting, but an encyclopedia of African hunting. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, even before I went, I fell in love with it, man. It's a very economical these days when it comes to hunting hunting is just getting extremely expensive um but africa is still a little bit of a deal it's a place we're going i'm not telling anybody who it is because the prices are super fair my animals and, are great yeah and, and the, the animals are they, some of the best greater kudu in southern africa like um i'm not planning on shooting one mary's gonna shoot one tell's gonna shoot one tell them what you are planning because you're shooting an animal no one probably really yes yeah, so i'm going about. after the one of the main so this main ranch i would say it's all free range um there's is a little bit of fencing but that's mostly to keep the cattle out of the, out of the, uh, that's mostly to keep the adult, oh, sorry, the, the beef, if I can speak straight here, it's mostly to keep the beef out of the hunting area, because then the beef will just decimate the uh, brush and the habitat, and then the animals will suffer, so, um, it's mostly elan and kudu in this area, um, he has a pile of kudu, and he has a pile of elan, and it sounds like, you know, it's a, it's a little back and forth to try to get the exact number, but it sounds like he has about 90,000 hectares of Which is, land. Which is, the math on that? It's about two acres per hectare, or give or take. So we're looking at about 200,000 acres of free-range hunting we're going to be in, which is incredible. Yeah, if you, you could... And it's going to be it's going to be like farm property. Yeah, you couldn't come across that market. There's it, there's few people. Oh, no, it's humongous, and this is just old-time land these guys own. Um, it's in the, the kind of Kalahari, Kalahari region of Botswana, from my understanding. So it's like red dirt, sand, really flat, thick, thick, thick brush. And anyway, stereotypical so, African. Yeah, so a lot of elan, a lot of kudu, and this guy only has what's natural as Botswana. So there's no other animals. So it's like he's got elan kudu 
um, Gemsbuck, Impala, Steinbuck, Diker, No Sable, Springbuck, No Sable, um, Wildebeest, Blue Wildebeest, and then you've got Zebra. 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 That's how they say in South Africa. Not zebra, it's zebra. So, which is that's another thing on mine is our, our dad and mom were fortunate enough to go to Africa days before Stetson and Mary left. Yeah, about two weeks before they went. They went on a trip. Yeah, and our dad harvested a zebra, um, and our mom grew up rodeoing, so she was all, "Oh, it's a horse!" And she got there, she's like, "Those things are not horses. And they're very mean. They're very so, mean. They're very different. Um, but they are very, very beautiful." So um, I'm extremely excited to get back over there. Uh, I wish. I hope to get to the point where I can go. Once or twice a year, uh, twice would be awesome. I just well, and, and so that leads me into my kind of next thought and question for you is, um, as you guys know, we're going duck hunting on our honeymoon. It's not hunting is not cheap, no. um, and global hunting, even though Africa is cheap for a lot of you know, hunting in America, can be a lot more expensive. Uh, did you rob a bank to get your money to do this, or that is one no. thing we we didn't come from trust fund. Mom's a taxidermist, yeah. dad farmed. Yeah, no, we're just a normal family. Um, I'm still we're just still very much normal people. Um, but the one thing I have done is taking, we have taken care of the money we do make. Um, and I was fortunate enough to join up with Tell a couple of years ago. He finally talked me into it. Um, Says was so anti or real estate. Yeah. I'm not anti real estate. I was, I was buying property. Anti-agent. I was anti-agent for sure. I told multiple people I was never going to become an agent. Um, so I started buying property. I think I bought my first property when I was 19. I bought some farmland, lost a bunch of money on that. I lost like 30 grand around, an give or take, and I think I sold it when I was 21 or 22 so I sold it I sold everything I had um, because I wasn't making a whole lot of money Mary just got out of college so we were living in the camper and then we bought a duplex and we moved into that and did what we called house hacking so lived in once I totally remodeled it with Tal my dad and Mary and the family remodeled both sides of the duplex re-rented the one side and lived in the other side and basically cost us nothing so we were able to see a bunch of money and then now, um, you know, me and Teller are running the real estate team, and we are doing very well. Uh, it was a little slow last year. Um, but I'll be honest, I, I booked the African hunt before I even made a dollar in real estate as an agent. I hadn't even got my license yet. <laughs> well, I was like, we're going to do good. I'm booking this. I had the honeymoon coming up. I knew we'd get a little bit of money from the wedding, too, which was going to help, like, uh, like from gifts. And I was like, ah, it'll cover a little bit. But the one thing about Africa is put a budget together, and when you get there, tear it up and throw it in the fire. Because, <laughs> yeah, it... It's so easy to spend money over there because it's nothing like America. It's nothing like hunting in America. Freaking Ulrich. He's over here like, oh, just shoot that. That's, yeah, yeah. As I told you in the last podcast, it's an upsell. It's a business. It's and a business. And that was, money is so important to Africa. And the animals. So yeah. whatever. I don't regret $1 I spent. So um, Can't take it with you. I mean, there are some stuff I regret spending money on, but I won't say. <laughs> uh, I gave people too much money and some stuff, but uh, oh well. Dang, t- tipping culture is not limited to America. No, it's a lot of tipping over there, and I did do a little screwing up, but it's I gave more than I did would have given less. So you know, I helped somebody else. So it's not a big deal. But anyways, no taking um, taxis. I uh, I'm t- we taking care of our money. So um, and we don't spend money on anything. We don't do anything. Spend on hunting. To be honest, we just spend on hunting. Spend on hunting and real estate. Um, and food. And food. You know, small area. So we don't. I'm you know, I bought a truck, but I bought a used truck this year for. I got a good deal on it. Um, it wasn't that much money. I don't have a payment. I paid it off. Um, so I'm just trying to really limit our expenses going in the next couple of years, as well as buying property. So, you know, we're looking at the next hunt. It's going to cost some money. Um, but, you know, the nice thing about Africa, too, is you can kind of break it up. So, like, we're looking – we're getting ready to send the deposit in here soon on our next one, which is well over a year away. Well, a year and a month, really, because yeah. we're hoping to go March 25. So just a year and a month. So we'll send a deposit. That will bring the balance down, and then we'll pay a big chunk of the hunt 
right after we get done, we'll either pay there with a credit card or wire the money in. And then you know you can buy your flights about six months before, so you can really spread it out, which is really nice. And I mean, we're gonna go do this hunt, and both tells Skyla's, mine, and Mary's hunt combined is cheaper than a ton of hunts in North America. A ton of it's cheaper than a doll sheep hunt, cheaper than a stone sheep, cheaper than everything moose. No, oh, they just you know the the National SCI Bank, which got done. In, it's in the hunting world. This month is January, February, March. It's like banquet and show season. And so everyone's going to these big auctions. Um, I saw the sheep for the Lake Powell sheep, one of their tags sold for, I think, yeah. 55000 75000 75000 yeah. with Stephen Kyle. And there's tags selling for half a million to a million dollars. So it's crazy. So And it's not like that tag is worth that. It's it's it, conservation. Going to conservation, yeah. Yeah, going to hunter's rights. But it's... And they're like state, there's statewide tags, and and for being honest, a lot of this money is tax deductible. So it's it's big companies that are spending it, but we're happy to take it in the hunting world. We need it. Well, there's there's two countries in the world that have seen positive growth in their wild animal populations, and that is North America and South Africa. Yeah, country wise, yeah. yeah. And North America, America, sorry. Yeah. And that's the conservation be, model in in uh, in the Western in, conservation model. Yeah, it's, it's top-notch. South Africa turned, from my understanding, they used to be mostly cattle farms, and when the hunting industry took off, they converted, I think it was like, I mean, it was like 50 million acres into game farms. Like, the, like they brought in, they got rid of the cattle and brought game in. Like, they converted that much back to natural habitat for hunting, and that's just incredible. So, um, they well, need, and like, it has to be worth something. It has no value. It's, they will go away. So. The sables were on the edge of being not there existent. Was not, there, was, there was like a couple thousand. And left. now they're, There's I would a, say, one of the more prevalent animals in Africa. They're abundant. They're very and people abundant. are seeking Especially in South Africa. They're still a little bit more rare in like the free-range countries, but with anti-poaching and um, you know conservation models up there, it's working well. And $100, that's simple. Hunting dollars has saved them. So. And that's one thing with African hunting, especially in these non-South African countries. A ton of money goes towards anti-poaching work, yeah. and that's where, if it wasn't for hunters, there would be no anti-poaching systems out there. No, because there would be. They're, they're, we're there's the ones very funding. little that's supported by the governments over there. There's very little that is supported by, um, you know, the anti-hunters out there. They don't do crap. We're being honest. They don't do. They don't do jack squat. And the people so, that the people that want the animals dead for poaching hate hunters. Yeah, hunters hate them. Yeah. There, that's the one. And it's a very big misnomer for somebody to think that you love so much that you would kill an animal to save it, but it works, I promise. Um, all these anti-poaching teams you see in Africa are paid for, majority, I would say at least 90% by by hunters. And, yeah. and that, not by the hunters, but you know, the hunters are going over there and then the outfitters are getting these, these concessions. They're hiring anti-poaching teams. They're hiring old poachers to come in and protect these animals and it has worked. In the last 20 years, you can see like early 2000s, wasn't as good and they really come top notch with a lot of stuff um i mean they pay guys to basically live with the animals year round in a way yeah they've got like the 20, rhinos, the 10, 20 20 10 nice thing is the american dollar and european and the, all that going over there the dollar goes a lot farther so they're able to hire quite a bit of guys to protect all this stuff um and it works too because snaring and poison and all that stuff and i get it these people are very very poor in a lot of these areas but um and they got to make a living, a lot of them, but a lot of it gets agreed to when it comes to poaching elephant ivory and, and rhino horns is getting sold to China. And, um, you know, you can't blame a guy that's living in the bush in Africa to go poach an elephant and make 50 grand selling the ivory. But um, if we don't stop it, then they're just going to go away. And it's working. So it's just good to see, like, a hunting elephant was illegal in Botswana not long ago. And then they finally opened up hunting again in Botswana. And it, they are killing some just absolute jumbo elephants. Records. Record. Record. Not records, but 
you know, they're top-notch elephants. The hunters are paying upwards of $100,000 to these money. elephants. Um, and, and it's just getting better and better. So it's conservation at work. So Besides Africa and North America, what's what's on the list next for you? Because we, though, like I said, we hunt and want to spend a lot of time together. We have kind of varied things. We've talked a lot about the impact hunting scene right now in Australia and probably the potential loss for it for waterfowl hunting at least. And so I'm thinking of ways to beat feed it to Australia to hunt birds. But what's what's kind of the out-of-Africa hunt or out-of-Africa oh, deal you're looking to do? I don't know. Um I'd like, because in the current financial situation, there's a lot of hunts I'd like to do, but there's simply, some most of the hunts I'd like to do are $100,000 plus. Um, so that's just pretty much unattainable, unattainable at the moment. Um, I'm hoping eventually to do that, but I can't right now. Um, so I, I'd like to do like an uh, Altai Agali, not Agali, Altai Ibex, or a, um, there's a couple different Ibex over in like Tajikistan, Kajikistan, Kyrgyzstan. Um, and they're more attainable, but at the moment I'm still, I'm kind of just focused on Africa because, um, at the moment we don't have any kids, so Mary can go with and Texas have you, so that is on the bucket. That is on the, we're doing <laughs> that. Happen. We're doing that in April, hopefully. Um, but that's not costing us much at all. It's kind of free. Do so, um, so that's kind of what I'm thinking is getting Ibex cause they're not too bad. Um, it's the type of sheep hunt get to go to a cool country. Um, and then that'll be down the road though. I'm thinking honestly. If I if we once once we go in Botswana next year, twenty twenty five, I'm really hoping to switch to dangerous game for the next hunt and do um probably buffalo or leopard. Or both. I'd like to do both. To get one um dangerous game because my the thoughts are is Mary will be working for a year or two more, we'll probably have kids and hopefully she can be a stay at home mom. And then once that happens, you know, it'd be a single household income, stuff changes. So I'd like to at least get back over to Africa with her once or twice more before we have kids. So get a buff. Get a buff. You know, dangerous game hunting. Yeah, that'd be super cool. It's not. I watch. You know, and if you're if you're interested in stuff, you can watch for cancellation hunts too, and you can pick up some really good deals and cancellation hunts. So I don't know. You know, it's all we talk about. It's all only until look at. We don't send each other cars every once in a while, but we don't look at buying that stuff. You know, it's only pretty much just hunting that we look at spending money on. Hunting and houses. Hunting and houses. Yep. House and hunters. House hunters. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's so, but I really only like real estate because it gives me the opportunity to do hunting. Well, that's the thing is we're sitting here on a take care of people do hunting Wednesday morning. Yeah. Good day, and we we have a I have a listing appointment in a couple hours, but we have the freedom to live our lives in a very unique way. Yeah, it is something we've had very very busy last couple of months, but even then, it's not bad. We get to do this. It's not that we have to yes. do this. We get to do this. So yeah. it was it was the last day of duck season and. I just happened to cross some birds, and I was like, we should just go do this because we're going to be stuck not duck hunting for a while, especially Stetson. Tell gets the privilege of killing a mass load of ducks here in a couple weeks. But uh, yeah. Stetson's going to be gone here soon, so – or not gone, but not hunting birds. And our job allows us to just pick up that day and go chase some birds. And we ended up having actually a really good little last day hunt. Got yeah, it was cool. Got to shoot some divers. That was a fun hunt. Got Mary, Mary went with us. She hasn't really gotten this much this year. Clover got to work right at the end. She kinda... had the most unfortunate, like, duck hunt, though, because she hasn't shot a lot of shotgun, hasn't shot a lot of birds. Diver hunting is hard because those birds move radically, and she smoked a redhead coming over us, and I smoked down one with her. She yeah, I didn't shoot. Dog, and Clover went out and picked up mine, and Mary... We were looking around like, where's Mary's? And it was way out in the middle of the lake. <laughs> and, and it was... She folded it. I mean, wings... Clothes yeah. on it and just hardcore. Yeah, probably broke a wing. Yeah, divers, folded, divers right. are tough birds. They're though. tough. Yeah, you'll you definitely lose some divers. Yeah. And that's I will say, Stetson has been the 
intro to the outdoors for me heavily. But he cannot say he would have been in waterfowl hunting without. Nope, I wouldn't. Stetson have. started I was, out. I was anti waterfowl hunting. If it doesn't have horns or fangs, I don't want to kill it. Yeah, I just didn't like sitting out in the cold and see no ducks. But our duck hunting has gone pretty good. Yeah. So, but now even Stetson, now, I'll sit out there and see no ducks and do okay. Now, uh, and we've had some fortunate uh, hunts, even this year in the slower year. Stetson and I had some good hunts where we were shooting limits quick and just enjoying some cool, cool opportunities. Duck hunting is just a lot different too. It's uh, it's a party lot of camaraderie. Yeah. It's kind of a party hunt, I'd call it. Like you said, it's uh, you get to talk. You know, we get the dog. You get to bring people that don't do a lot of hunting, so it's easy for them. Um, it's action packed too. You know, if you're doing other types of hunting, that especially in the Western U.S., one trigger pull. It's one trigger pull, and you go all week without that excitement. And then you got 30 seconds, a minute, and then you're in and you're done. Duck hunting, you don't get those high, high adrenalines like you do out in the other type of hunting, but you, um, for the most part. You you're always on a nice state of high a little bit. Yeah, just seeing ducks move around. And, I mean, there was, there was oh, the, oh, there's one, there's one. You know, it's going over your head, and you're like, ah, oh, crap, it's gone. Yeah, there was. You know, you get the special highs. I think because a waterfowler, a very dedicated waterfowler, the highs come from. Well, for you watching your dog start to retrieve your puppy, that was the first year when she was out there picking up ducks early on in her career. Yeah, so she turned one in September. That's a high. We, that was a cool experience. That was very fun. And um, still is. Like, it's cool this year each time. Yeah, seeing we have not hunted with a dog at all, hardly. Tell's hunted with a dog very little with a friend, but it's mostly been us for the last we were the six, dogs. seven years that we've really been hunting heavy. Um, but Clover turned a year in September. We got out in September, mm-hmm. right, into September. Something like that, our first split. And uh, shot a duck, went way out there, and she bailed off to go get it. I got nervous just because I'd never done it. She got way out there. I shocked her because I was nervous about her drowning. And then she's like, what the heck, man? Turned around, swam about halfway back. and like, oh, fine, just go get it. And then she swam out there and got it. And then it's kind of the rest. She was really nervous on the next one because I shocked her like an idiot because I was worried. But she went and got that one. And then it's kind of been really good since then. She um, she struggles a little bit with cold. She's German short hair. So um, she gets real cold. Her back end doesn't really want to work too well. So she, she knows when she quits, though. She gets lazy and just sits there. Um, but I'd rather her do that than drown. Yeah. And I think the chickens that you all can probably hear now are telling us it's time to quit. So thanks for our first guest episode, Stetson. Um, like I said, you'll probably hear Stetson on here quite a bit. Yeah. We basically live together. Talk about a lot of hunting. Talk so, about a lot of hunting. Talk don't about like hunting, skip our, my podcast. Yeah, don't don't listen to Stetson's. Maybe we'll get your wife on here and see what her perspective is on you saying you have a 51%. Yeah, I would. she'd probably disagree. But, <laughs> but I would supersede that. So. Supersede that. You've got to leave the household, remember? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, as always, guys, like and subscribe. Leave us five stars. Um, if you want to be a guest on this podcast and you're willing to travel and or live in southwest Colorado, let us know um, if you have recommendations for someone that wants to come on the podcast. And also, if you just have any thoughts or questions, feel free to shoot, them a, shoot us a DM. We will see you next time on the One Season or Another podcast.